Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Matt D. Fothery, Lee Boyd, and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. Welcome to another unbelievable, incredible, phenomenal episode of FNO InsureTech. That's him. Our <laughs> co-host, Mr. Lee Boyd. And Mr. Rob Beller. We're here once again. Yeah. They said it's not possible, but here we are. You know, I was just thinking, we have done a lot of intros. <laughs> A lot of intros. We have been able to introduce a lot of guests, have a lot uh -huh. of chit chat, uh -huh. and um, yeah, I'm, I don't know. Uh huh. And you want to know what I'm thinking about today in this yeah. intro? I'd love the to. The Yellow Rose of Texas. Okay. Do you know that song? I yes, I know the song. Can you sing it? I also no, Can but I also think it? there's a Can restaurant in Madisonville called the Yellow Rose that is no longer open. Well, unlike Texas, which is open. Yeah, Texas um, is open. It did snow today, but it is open. I know. That's so cool that it snowed in Texas. Um, yeah. The Yellow Rose of Texas. I used to know how to play that on the violin. Really? You play the violin? I did when I was a kid. I, uh, oh. Yeah, little known fact. Uh -huh. How does it go? Uh, there is a I'm Yellow Rose about the of eyes. Texas. Da, yeah. There's a yellow rose of Texas. I think Al, do you know it? Uh, I've heard it before, but no. I'll be going to Apple Music now. <laughs> oh, my God. I have all these people. I'm in California today, folks, I, where I live, and all these people who live in Texas don't know the yellow rose of Texas. And I bet you're listening to this podcast thinking, I know the yellow rose of Texas. I learned how to play it on the violin when I was nine. Well, I had the same exact experience. But anyways, the reason I bring that up, you know why I bring that up, Lee? Do you know why? Tell me why. I want to know. Because our guest today, segue, our guest today is from Texas Windstorm Insurance Association, which is a Texas-only insurer, uh, government, part of the Texas government almost, and yeah. Dave Williams, who's been a guest before with us, who's a great and brilliant guy from Texas Windstorm, is with us today to talk about what's happening and where things are and where they're going. Yeah, it's always a delight to have Dave. He's just full of knowledge. Whenever you talk to the guy, you can just tell he, he gets it, uh, but he gets it on a whole nother level. I've had numerous conversations with Dave in the past uh, through work experiences and things like that. And whenever... We, I, I, I prepare to go talk to Dave in a meeting. He's always on a whole nother level above where I was. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. And I think we'll get to talk about the future of technology and the future of insurance and a little bit about what happened with Twi in, in the past couple of years. And the interesting thing about Dave is, is that he's not only um, a visionary guy, he's also a doer. He's an implementation guy. Mm -hmm. And so that's why he's really been able to transform Twia is because he's not only come up with the great ideas to do there, but he, then he's done them and done them successfully. And when he, when, when they haven't been as successful, he's moved on and, and kept trying. He's just a, a diligent, um, 
manager and a very diligent learner, big reader, uh, super smart guy. And we love to have him on just because of those facts that he is um, really smart and yeah. really good. And he probably knows Yellow Rose of Texas. I bet he does. Is what I bet he was a Yellow Rose of Texas sung by somebody. Like I have an Elvis Presley Yellow Rose of Texas. It, yeah, it might. It, is it is it just like a famous song sung by people? Did not even know. So without further ado, let's use um, that music to transition the Yellow Rose of Texas to transition into our interview with Dave Williams of. TWIA, Texas Windstorm Insurance Association. Hey, everybody. We're here with a repeat offender, somebody who's been on our podcast before, graced the microphones of FNO InsureTech, um, a friend uh, for a very long time and a respected colleague in the claims world, Dave Williams, the chief claims officer at Texas Wind or TWIA or Texas Wind Insurance Association. Did I get that right, Dave? Texas Windstorm Insurance Association and Texas Fair Plan Association. And Texas Fair Plan. And just real quick, tell us what, what they are and what's the difference. Texas Windstorm or TWIA, as it's known, only provides wind and hail insurance in the 14 coastal counties of Texas and a very small part of, of Harris County near Houston. Texas Fair Plan is a similar residual market insurer that provides basic homeowners insurance throughout Texas for people who can't get their homeowners insurance elsewhere. Um, Texas Fair Plan, though, does not provide wind and hail insurance on the coast. That's TWIA's job. And TWIA does not provide basic homeowners insurance um, other than for the perils of wind and hail. You are chief claims officer, correct? Some days. <laughs> <laughs> or also known as chief cook and bottle washer. Mm -hmm. Chief troublemaker. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to talk today about some of the trouble that you're making and causing. But when we last hit you last time, you were a year and a half or whatever out of um, Hurricane Harvey. And for those of you who track weather like we do, Hurricane Harvey was an extraordinary event um, that really hit hard in your guys's kind of uh, PIF sweet spot and uh, 90 plus thousand claims. Tell us, give us the update on Harvey in, in Texas, which is one of the litigation capitals of the world. Yeah. So, so unlike a lot of carriers, um, every day we have to think about the big storms and everything we do is geared not toward what are we seeing today in a normal environment, but how will everything that we think about and plan be impacted and, and how do we take care of our customers as best as possible if there's a major storm. So when Harvey came along, we were as prepared as I think uh, the organization's ever been. We got 94, a little over 94,000 claims. We paid out over 1.4 billion as we sit here today, we've closed 98.5% of the claims. There are um, 1,042 claims open as of the end of the year. And I think probably by the end of February, there'll be less than 1,000 claims. And we've had a litigation rate of less than 1% and an appraisal rate of less than 1%. So we're, we're pretty happy. There's still people that aren't satisfied. And, and, you know, that's typical. And we're doing our best to see if there's anything more we can do for them. But 
you know, at this point, um, you know, things have settled down. I think the biggest impact for us from Harvey and not only having the opportunity to help our policyholders was what we learned and, and how we've made changes. One of the great things about Dave is Dave is brilliant and he's also, he's a dreamer and has a lot of vision as far as where things are and where things are going. But he, he doesn't only dream about things, he actually, he's also, he's also a doer. And that's what makes him kind of a unique character is that he has chased down a lot of interesting ideas, created a lot of interesting ideas, and then uh, worked really hard with his team to make them happen. And so that's kind of where we're gonna go today with this is talking about some of the things that uh, that that fit into that. You know, Dave, I'm interested in the in the litigation rates. That does seem very low and a very high high prone area for for litigation. What are some of the steps you've taken to help to help Toya reduce litigation? Well, um, unlike most companies, um, we're a not for profit. Any money that we have left over after we pay expenses and claims goes into a pool called the Catastrophe Relief Trust Fund, and it's the policyholder's money for the next big storm. So after Hurricane Ike, when we had an extremely high litigation rate, I think it was more than 10%, Wow. Um, the legislature here in Texas decided that they were going to put laws in place to protect us from that litigation. So where we cover a claim and accept the claim and pay it, the exclusive remedy for the policyholder, if they don't agree with what we pay, is appraisal. So they can't sue us if we if they think we didn't pay them enough. So that has a lot goes a long way toward reducing litigation. The only litigation you can implement against us is if we deny a claim, and then the question is, did we get it right or not? And if we didn't get it right, and, and there's no uh, showing of intent or bad faith, basically you can recover. Um, the amount of money for that coverage and some fees, but it's certainly not money grab that you see in a lot of other places. Is that is that specific to Twia, or does that also cover other insurance companies here? Yep, we're the only ones I'm aware of that have that kind of uh, reg, uh, laws that protect us. Wow, that's very interesting. I, I had wondered that. I knew they were hiring Ike, uh, but that makes sense. So let's talk about what you've been up to for the last year, Dave. I know that you have your hands in a lot of pots. Um, because that's just that's just how you are. The biggest change I think that I know of with you is that you're Grandpa Dave now. Is that what you, is that right? What, what what do we what do they call you? What's your name? Uh, they're not they're not talking yet, so we'll <laughs> see. But uh, yeah, I had a grant. My uh, daughter had a grandson June nineteenth. His name is Maverick. Oh, great! And my son and his wife had a. Baby girl named Jane on July 12th, so two in less than a month. So it was an exciting summer. How wonderful. Very exciting. What What are you going to go by? What's, what's, what's your handle going to be? Um, I think uh, um, my daughter-in-law insists that it's going to be Big D, and I'm thinking, <laughs> great. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. For, I'll let the children decide. My bet is on, hey, you, uh-huh. or who's that guy? Or late for dinner. <laughs> I had a couple other initials that came into my mind, but I'll, we'll leave those off the air. <laughs> uh, I know that you guys, one of the things that you've been up to is you've been going through a whole Guidewire integration. Yeah. And why don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Guidewire is absolutely an InsureTech solution, right? 
it's been around for some time. Tell us about where you guys are with Guidewire. And, and I, I think a little more on that, Dave. What What is Guidewire, right? Help some of our listeners who might not know. They hear the word Guidewire. Can Can you tell us a little bit about what it is and then what, what you're doing with it? Yeah, so um, Guidewire back in the early 2000s um, got put on the map because they were the first to come out with a strong web-based claims management system. So that was their first product. Then they brought along policy center and billing center to handle the other aspects of the insurance uh, value chain. So for for us, Guidewire, we have the suite. We also have digital portals for our policyholders for claims, and we use their data mart. We actually have two separate and distinct implementations, one for Texas Windstorm and one for Texas Fairplan. We're going through an upgrade cycle right now to get Texas Windstorm and Texas Fairplan all on one incidence of the system rather than having two separate incidences, which is more difficult and costly to maintain. I would describe Guidewire as a back office system, very strong administrative system out of the box. But when it comes to a modern customer facing solution, it still needs a lot of integration with other solutions in my opinion. Guidewire has come a long way over the years and certainly they have well over 300 customers worldwide. It's probably the most popular personal lines, automobile and, and property insurance system in the world for good reasons. It's, and it's fairly easy to use once you get it set up. Um, there are challenges though, if you have custom work and want to do things differently than the majority of their customers, which is not uncommon for any system. So I don't want to sound like I'm berating Guidewire, but um, Overall, it's a solid decision to put in for your back office systems. Um, you know, you may you may find other solutions to integrate with it for customer facing applications that are better. But Guideware's got partnerships with Salesforce, um, Zactware, EagleView, um, all the major technology companies. So it's a question of your level of investment and need. I think the thing that sets Guideware apart is they're willing to unbundle their suite and have a best of breed approach where. A lot of software providers simply want to sell you the entire suite, you know, so it's, it, it's, it's a, a valuable tool, complicated tool. And if you have the right people, it can be a uh, powerful tool to run your business. So has the in- implementation of Guidewire helped, helped your company? Yeah, so um, we, we definitely have a much faster um, claims lifecycle. First notice of loss can be taken through a smartphone, a website. Um, we have a call center that can use it remotely so we can spread the system anywhere in the world. It can be accessed anywhere in the world, anytime. We have automated assignment to the desk level and the field level. We have integration and um, automated um, two-way communication with Zactware and other vendors. Um, we have digital communication capabilities either through through other means. So it, it's definitely a more modern system than what we had. Our prior system was a proprietary system that basically was a way to uh, manually add documents, make financial decisions, and to collect file notes. Well, that sounds really neat. Yeah, it seems like like you're able to really uh, organize things and get the get the claim file quicker using that. Uh, you were saying earlier that Guidewire integrates with numerous other companies like Salesforce, Exactware, EagleView. EagleView is somebody you partner with a lot. Is that right? Yeah, not only on the claim side, but on the underwriting side. So, um, oh, really? Uh, you know, on the underwriting side, you do? Yeah. So on the underwriting side, they use their 
artificial intelligence, machine learning to understand change detection. Because we're a not-for-profit, we don't have a lot of money to do physical inspections. So um, every year we do flyovers and EagleView will compare the prior year's images with the current year images and look at the footprint and other things to see if something's changed. So if something's changed, an exception report is created and our underwriters can work those exceptions. So they're constantly sweeping our book of business, looking for something that's changed, and then they can look at the images um, and see if they need to re-underwrite or call the agent and ask if something's changed. So if somebody adds a garage, uh, turns a garage into a living space, adds a covered patio or something like that, oh, okay. or if other hazards are identified through the process. So it's kind of a virtual underwriting process. For claims, we're, next storm, we're going to use it to do before and after comparisons so we can understand which properties in the impacted area had no damage, minimal damage that we might be able to desk adjust, damage that we need to send an adjuster out, and then a total loss where we can adjust it from the desk as well. Wow. I, I You know, I've seen there before and after photos uh, before a storm and after a storm. And using that AI, it seems like they can do a lot with it. Yes. Uh, and it, it seems like you have the systems in place. In addition to, to EagleView, uh, ExactWare is your estimating platform. Am I, am I correct? Yes. Is that, is that mostly what y'all use ExactWare products for or do, or is there anything else you use Verisk for? We use ZactWare's Zactimate estimating platform, or at least our, our field adjusters. Uh, we use independent adjusters, so they have to use that if they're going to work for us. And then we use Zact Analysis as our workflow engine, and then for our business intelligence to track cycle times and, and where our claims at. We have other partnerships with Verisk, including their uh, weather uh, AER, Atmospheric Environmental Research, so we get weather reports for wind and hail at the property location level. And we also, like everybody, use ISO Claim Search, but we also use ISO Claim Director to automatically scrub our submissions to Claim Search, score them, and tell us whether or not there's some element of potential fraud. So we're using uh, anal uh, predictive analytics with Claim Director to help figure out the best way to assign the right claims to our SIU, our special investigators. And then um, we also are partners with ISO. PCS. So anytime there's a major event in Texas, we're providing our data so they can understand whether it's a, a, a event that should be given a catastrophe code. You know, one question I was wondering, you, you currently work with ExactWare as an estimating platform and the other gorilla in the room is, is Symbility or, and I'm wondering, have, have, have you ever looked at Symbility? Uh, have you ever compared them? Yeah, we've uh, actually looked at Symbility a couple times over the years, and we like what we see. It seems like it's, it's easy to learn. It's got a nice look and feel, nice usability. The challenge for us is our systems are integrated with Zactware, and to be able to unplug that and plug something else in, especially something we're not familiar with and something that not everybody in the industry uses, at least the field adjusting firms, it, it, it becomes a challenge. Dave, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of our listeners are, are wondering about is your view on disruption today and disruption in particular in the claim space. And I think one of the reasons that your opinion is valuable is because you're very open to it. I think it's fair to say that you embrace it and not only what's here and what's coming. And I know that uh, there's, there's, a, there's a quote out there 
uh, by William Gibson that you that you shared with us that says the future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed, which I think is a great quote. So why don't you talk about disruption and that distribution of disruption and 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 what your views are there? Yeah, so I think when you when you watch what companies like Lemonade and Assurant are doing with automated claim payments using a smartphone and some of the bigger carriers with their smartphone collection of images and then it translates over to writing an automatic estimate and no human being touches it, you know, that whole touchless claim process, you know, it, it's, it's definitely not evenly distributed because we're not anywhere near having something like that, but the day will come probably when we will, but that could be 10 years from now. But those companies have already invested heavily in that technology. They're, they're willing to take the risks. You know, for example, if you look at Lemonade's history, they, they, they um, claim they have the fastest claim payment ever, a matter of a couple seconds. A guy's jacket was stolen in a bar in Boston, and he reports it over his phone, and he gets, gets his claim processed and paid in four or five seconds. Right. And, and if you understand their history, Lemonade's history, their loss ratios were through the roof. They were losing money for the first couple of years while they were trying to figure out the algorithms to understand when somebody is trying to file an honest claim and when somebody's not filing an honest claim. Now, my understanding is they've got their loss ratios down. They've got more technology, more algorithms, and that they're on the brink of success, if not already successful. And I know in, in looking at what Assurant does, they've got background technology running and, and searching everywhere, including uh, web crawling, which is fascinating, where they go out to the web and look at various sites, social media sites and whatnot, to see if people are bragging about ripping off Assurant or bragging about ripping off insurance companies in general, and you know that looking at unstructured data. And, and the technology is there. It's just a question of, do you have the, the resources to acquire it? And more important, do you have the people who understand how to set it up, configure, and use it? And I think as our older generations move on toward retirement and the less experienced younger generations come online, we're going to see a, a much firmer adoption of some of these technologies much faster <laughs> because that's all they know. Yeah, that was something I was wondering. We, we've we visited with numerous companies, insurance companies, who are heavily investing in, in IoT devices, and they're even sending them to the insureds or prospective insureds in their home to help uh, stop claims. Do, is that the future? Is that where, where we're going? Yeah, so I think, I think smart home technology has a bright future. You know, companies like Roost with their uh, smart batteries and water monitoring devices, I love that stuff. Um, and as that technology gets better, it becomes easier to set up. Um, you know, I've, I've struggled at times trying to set up smart technology at home. I've got cameras. I got the Ring doorbell. Right. I got the Roots water device. I even got a smart plug for Christmas, and I was surprised how quickly I could set up a smart plug. You know, so it's just a question of um, people becoming aware. One one quote I saw, and I wish I could remember who said it, but. Um, and I ask people this all the time. I said, which generation, we now have, what, five, six generations in the workforce. Sure. Which generation is most likely to adopt technology if they understand the value? And everybody answers, oh, it's got to be the millennials. And the real answer is it's the boomers and the maturists, the older generations. Right. So it's not that it's not that us older generations don't 
want technology and, and, and don't like it. It's just if we don't understand why it, why it matters and how it can add value, we're not going to do it. What about privacy, Dave? Let's talk about privacy just for a minute. Um, you know, one of the things that I see in my own family about privacy is it depends on which generation you're talking to. Like my wife defines privacy in, in much more strict terms than my kids do. And um, what? give us a minute on privacy. Yeah, I think depending on what it is, people, people are willing to take the risk if there's a benefit for it. You know, so when you look at social media and uh, Instagram and, and all that fun stuff, people see it as something not so risky. But when you're when you're doing online banking and online purchases, you know, depending on whether you have a habit of doing that a lot or not, privacy becomes a big issue. And and then you've got the whole issue of cybercrime. So in the last week, my email account was hacked. My wife's Instagram account was hacked and uh, my Netflix account was hacked all in one week. Wow. Three different accounts, three different companies and three different user IDs and passwords. So I'm not sure what happened there, but we, we managed to catch it quickly. And, and as far as we can tell, no damage was done. But, you know, great question because I've been living with it. <laughs> yeah, privacy is... I mean, that's something you really got to think about. And I, I think that a lot of companies are starting to catch on that everyone cares. Um, but it's something that is always in the back of my mind whenever I install a camera in my house or I install any anything that says if I'm home or I'm away, I think how can this data be used against me? And, you, and we've started seeing the uh, current answer to a lot of problems, multi-factor authentication. So no longer can you just go in and change your user ID and password. They send you something via email or text and you have to go enter something somewhere else. So more than one factor for verifying it's you. It's even worse if you want to do something over the phone and you're, it involves financial accounts. It is. It's hard. I was on the phone with Bank of America the other day and they had to send me a uh, authentication factor to my phone and I had to tell it to them and uh, it was a little bit cumbersome, but I sure am glad they did it. At least they knew it was me on the phone. The one thing that worries me, I don't, it doesn't keep me up at night, but this whole concept of deep, deep fake imagery and video. Yeah, sure. Um, because we rely on people to send us images to help support their claims, especially supplemental claim payments and payments for recoverable depreciation. And, it, you know, I don't know if you remember, there's a there was a website out there where you can get fake receipts for personal property claims. Well, is it just a matter of time before you can have somebody create a fake, deep fake video for you that shows your house has been repaired? That's unbelievable. <laughs> what, an, what, a, what, a, what an interesting problem. I mean, when you think about, um, you know, like Claims Experience, which is an exact product, you know, there's there's others out there. But if you're going to get on the phone with me or I'm going to send you images of my loss in my house and you're not going to send somebody out to verify those, which is, of course, the whole beauty of that product, of the claims experience product. But I send you images that have been altered in a computer. Uh, that's a big problem. How do you deal with that? <sighs> you know, my guess is we've gotten them already and didn't know it. Same thing with same thing with paper receipts and whatnot. And I think, right, you know, I, you know, 
one thing I learned, and I might have learned it the hard way, is sooner or later you always get caught. So, you know, with um, structured data analytics for fraud mitigation that we've had for years, it's done somewhat of a good job of helping. But when you look at um, a company called Shift and Shift Technology, where they're able to look at uh, voice recognition patterns, unstructured data, scrub documents and images to see if there's anything. You know, so the metadata in, on images, if you're being sent them digitally, probably can be scrubbed by shift technology to tell you whether it's been altered or not. So I think, you know, there's, I'm sure there are insurance professionals out there at the bigger companies already using this technology that could explain it better than me. <laughs> you know, I was wondering, do you think that self-service claims is the future? Do you feel like people want to service their own claims, send you photos, handle it? Is that the future? I think right now the future is customer preference management Okay. because we have so many generations and, and people want to do it the way they want to do it. And they change their mind depending on who they're working with and the capabilities that are made available to them. I think that in order to compete with others, in order to keep costs down, in order to afford the technology as a company, you're going to have to digitize. Sending U.S. mail cannot be a thing that lasts much longer for most companies. And as we've, we've seen in our own personal lives, companies are constantly saying, um, switch to paperless billing, switch to, you know, everything online. You know, we're not there yet. We still send out 1,600 pieces of mail every day and we send a policy jacket with every new policy and renewal via the mail. We don't ask our customers, what's your preference for communication? What's your preference for correspondence? So not all of them are going to say, Snail mail, not all of them are going to say email, you know, and text and chat, we, we've got to welcome that in as well. You know, and, and I think through our experience in our personal lives, you know, you, you start out with a chat and maybe end up on the phone or you start on the phone and you end up on a chat. But, you know, that multi-channel experience and letting the customer decide their preferences in real time, letting them opt in and opt out as they see fit. You know, so for the longest time, I would get a paper bill and a digital bill until I got comfortable with digital billing. Now I don't get paper bills anymore. Right. Same here. But you're not going to get to self, you're not going to get to self-service claims unless when, when the customer becomes a new customer or has, has an event, you don't allow them to choose the channel and the method for handling their claim at some level. Oh, really? So you, you think it has to be dictated, so to speak, or required? Yeah, you offer it, you know, and, and then there could be an incentive. You know, if if you do this, this, and this, I'll waive, I'll reduce your deductible or something, you know? There you go. That's right. Deductible reduction by 10% or something, uh, some incentive. Or I won't withhold depreciation up to this amount. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's that's interesting. We, we had a guest on recently from Coverager, and she was talking about customer, we were talking about customer experience and how some of these new direct-to-consumer insurers like Hippo, for example, that part of their, you know, play, if you will, is that is that they think that customer experience is the cornerstone and customer interaction is, uh, customer engagement is a, is a critical piece that's never been part of the insurance equation that that's missing and that they're, and they're betting on it. What do, what do you think about that? What do you think about customer engagement? I mean, we're talking about it on a claims level and we can stay there or we can talk about it a little more globally. Are you guys, is that something that you think about? I know that you're very customer centric and that you want to keep customers at the center of your thinking, 
But what do you think about customer engagement and insurance? You know, we have a couple things going on here. And by the way, Hippo Insurance is here in Austin. We've met with them and exchanged ideas about claim processing. Since they're a new company, um, we gave them our vendor management program and some other things to play with. Love Darren McCarthy. Yeah, exactly. And then um, one of the things that's going on here in Texas is our insurance commissioner and his staff have a plain language initiative. So not only for us, but for every carrier in Texas now, if you're going to make changes to your policy forms and endorsements, they're going to scrub them to see if they're plain language or not. They just put out a bulletin that uh, requires you to give notice to policyholders when you make changes to your policy forms and endorsements. So you can't just drop it on them anymore. You have to give them a, a conspicuous notice that says, we made changes to your policy and endorsements. Here's what they are, and here's the impact on you. So you're starting to see our regulator take a role in this. One of the things that um, we learned from Hurricane Harvey is that we still can do a better job of communicating on our website and certainly in our, our claims letters, our receipt notice of receipt of claim letter and our claim disposition letters. So rather than take a dive into the letters this year to see where we wanted to make changes, and, and we've actually got agreements with the Department of Insurance to help us um, using their plain language resources. Uh, we've been doing empathy mapping exercises, um, and now we just started our customer journey mapping exercise. So before we even start figuring out what we want to do with our letters, we're actually spending time putting ourselves in the shoes of the policyholders, trying to think about how they feel, how they act, and, and looking at it across the life cycle of a claim. So we broke the claim life cycle into a loss happens, first notice of loss, acknowledge claim, investigate, evaluate claim, and resolve claim. And at each of those junctures, the policyholder will be thinking, feeling, saying, and doing different things. So understanding what juncture they're in is important and what they're thinking and doing and, and how they feel really matters when it comes to the letters. So if you're going to send them an acknowledgement letter, you better understand what are they going through and make sure that letter addresses that. And then the journey map, um, we're going to... So empathy, empathy. Yeah, exactly. In the journey map, we're, um, you end up at the, at the end with pains and gains for each stage of the life cycle, and then you list out your opportunities. So one of our opportunities with our letters that we've discovered already is none of them are in Spanish. We have a, a large majority of Spanish-speaking people here in Texas, and mm -hmm. a lot of our customers are in Spanish-speaking households. Mm -hmm. So we've got to take a hard look at that. You know, We've got to figure out how we can use more plain language so that people will read the letters and understand them. You know, speaking about the customer, I want to switch gears a little bit. The last time we talked, we talked about uh, three important things uh, within your organization, and that's people, process, and technology, with people being very important. I want to talk a little bit about what does the future of insurance hold for those people who are working with you? Do, 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 they, do they still need the same skills that they needed last year? Is that changed? Do, do people look at, at jobs or, or do, do you look to hire people differently now, if that makes any sense? Eventually, we're, yeah, eventually we're going to have to get there. So, you know, the skills that are still in demand everywhere, are critical thinking, the ability to empathize, the ability to collaborate with people. So these are not necessarily technology skills. But um, if, if you're in a data entry role, if all you're doing is pushing paper, clerical role, those jobs are going to be at risk. And if you read any of the expert reports, 
the automation of underwriting, especially for personal lines, is one of the risky areas as well. If you're handling uh, basic claims, whether it's automobile or property that involve low dollar amounts and, and high frequency, those are targets. So the ability to talk to people, listen well, empathize with them, critically think and help them solve problems are the skills that will be in highest demand in addition to understanding technology and how it's applied. You know, I, I was just sitting here thinking about change and it made me want to ask you this question. Do you think it's easier to work in insurance with all these technology changes and, and all that, or is it more difficult to work in insurance than it used to be, say, five or 10 years ago? Yeah, I don't think our industry is any different than any other industry. The change is inevitable. Change is constant. And technology certainly speeds up the rate of change. I think we're going to see more changes in the next five years um, than we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years. And you could say that five years ago as well. So, so you know, this this thought of um, where am I now and where do I need to be? And, and do I need to upskill? What do I need to change? What do I need to improve? Um you know, there's a, there's a quote out there, something to the effect of um, no longer can you uh, have early education, go to college, get a degree and think that's it. You, you have to become a lifelong learner. Totally. So that applies to anybody in any generation, you know, and, and then having having some sort of formal change management um, skill set is starting to matter because there's just so much going on. And how do you how do you. You know, it's like herding cats. How do you control it without some sort of methodology? We spend a lot of our time at 470 trying to trying to learn and and going about learning, uh, whether it be reading or or attending um, educational opportunities. We spend a lot of time doing that. And Lee and I were just talking earlier today that. Um, you know, that one of the benefit, big benefits of reading is that, you know, it, it gives you ideas that you may have never had, you may have never come to on your own at all. And that's the one thing I think that, uh, that InsureTech is doing. It's, it's pushing all of us to have riper, you know, th thinking and, and, and thoughts and ideas. Uh, w w would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Well, and, and, Information is um, the new currency. And, and you know, Lee mentioned the three things, people, process, and technology. But there really is a fourth component now, and that's data and understanding data and how it can be used um, at every level of your business becomes a critical skill. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if we can get somebody in our organization trained as a data scientist because it's going to matter matters now. If that wish could come true and you had a data scientist, what, what's the first thing you'd have them work on? Figuring out how we can improve our, and automate our, our claims reporting. You know, we're still, like many companies, still using Excel spreadsheets, filtering, sorting, pivot tables. Yeah, I think data is so important. You know, people are, you know, you know, companies, there's so much data out there that they don't even know what to do with it. Uh, but I would agree, having somebody trained in it you know, just being able to ask those questions and have somebody say, oh, yeah, I can dive into that. That's so important. Yeah, and having having a data structure, data dictionaries and uh, and rules, you know, it can't be a free for all. You can't have a legal entity like a vendor you do business with or a customer and, and put them in your system seven different ways. Yeah. What about claim claim predictions, being able to to predict claims based on the weather and and 
and things like that. Yeah, so we're we're already seeing um, the ability to use location intelligence to understand where we're likely to have claims and how we can proactively communicate before and after an event. The challenge is, is that customer preference management. Does the customer want that? Right. You know, because if you're sending texts and emails to people that they don't want, you're annoying them. I think one of the interesting things still will be going back to smart home technology. One of the things that I'm still anxiously awaiting is where you have a home with a, a, a VIN number like an automobile has, a black box like the automobile has, mm-hmm. and that black box has the dimensions, the construction type, the materials that were used, the age of those materials, maybe even the cost. You know, when you think about underwriters and how they go out to get building characteristics and during the application process, they're asking the policy or how old is your roof? What kind of roof do you have? Do you have ceramic tile? Do you have hardwood floors? Do you have carpeting? All that could be in that black box yeah. stored and updated as things change. So then add, add to sensor technology. So a network of sensors in a roof, walls, floors, sure. so that if something bad happens, the house actually can tell, send the, send the homeowner through their phone information that includes whether weather has been a factor and, and ask them, do you want to report a claim to your insurance company? All you do is click yes and it takes care of everything. Is it possible? It, it, I mean, is that real? It's absolutely possible. But you have to have builder you have to have builders working with some sort of vendor to collect that information. Then homeowners have to understand if you have that system, every time you make changes, you update it. And if you do that, think about how much easier that makes underwriting. The problem is you'll have people that are concerned about privacy and what's my insurance company going to do with that information? You know, why, why is it that, that the auto industry can do that? What makes an auto body shop update the, the VIN record that there was a wreck? Is there, is there a legal thing? Yeah. Well, you know, the biggest investment in people's lives is their home in most cases and it doesn't, and there's, and it doesn't have any of the security and tracking that an automobile has. Yeah, and you don't live in your car. It's really a weird dynamic in my mind, but right, right. And so, Dave, um, as as we come to a close here, I always like to ask you, what's the next tidal wave that you see coming as you look out from your perch? What, where, where are we going to be in five years? What's your thought? Yeah, I, I still think that. The battle for talent and and upskilling the talent you have is the biggest challenge. You know, you've got a lot of retire retirements coming. I know mine's coming in less than ten years. And you know, finding finding those people that can stay on, develop their skills, and take over senior leadership roles, um, develop their technical abilities so they understand the ins and outs of not just small or mid-sized claims, but large complex claims, and then people who can who can relate to to their coworkers and especially their customers on a variety of levels. It's, uh, you know, f- good people, good people are important. So you see, so, and this is what I love about you. That's not the, the answer that we would typically get. It would be about AI or some other machine that's being developed or, or, uh, or, te- or technological answer. You, you, you come back to people. You think it's about the, it's about, it's about people. Well, in, in, in my opinion, you can teach people technology and how to use it. Um, but my favorite saying is a fool with a tool is still a fool. So if you've got somebody that's not willing to learn and isn't, um, doesn't, doesn't, isn't smart enough, 
you know, you, you give them all the modern technology you want and you're going to have problems. With that um, deep and accurate thought, I think we will call it a day for today. We, uh, we always appreciate the opportunity to visit with you and we'll look forward to seeing you at PLRB. Yeah. Until then, thanks, thanks for being with us, man. Thank you, Dave. Thank you both. I'm going to quote my friend, uh, Lee Boyd, and I'm going to say, I love me some Dave Williams. <laughs> Did I say that? No, but that's, that's a Leeism. I love me some fill in the blank. I love me some Dave Williams. I love me some Dave Williams. Yeah, that's totally something I say. I met Dave Williams at, years and years ago when he was with ZC Sterling. And, um, Dave has just always been a super high energy thinker, doer, yeah, clever, creative guy. And he ended up in a kind of a little bit of a insurance backwater at Twia, but has transformed it into a modern uh, insurance company that's really at the forefront of what they do. And I have nothing but tremendous respect for him and and his ability and his ability. I, I remember I worked for Twia as an independent adjuster seven years, eight years ago during Hurricane Dolly. And at that time, uh, Dave was not there in the role that he's in today. Right. And we could basically send in any estimate in any format that needed. They took MSB, Exactware, fax, email, what, however we could get it to him, we got it to him. And he has really streamlined the operation uh, to go to a single platform and even the addition of Guidewire, allowing them to have all of that capability from that software where they can they can bring in different technologies like Eagle View and Exactware. And it, you know, he's really, as you said, transformed the company. He's transformed it. And uh I and I think that they've really come, they being Twia and the government of Texas, have become very appreciative of um the, the, the amazing leader that, that he is. And we wanted to have him on again to uh, touch on many of the topics that he did. And I really, I really appreciate that. And I love how he ended by saying that, you know, when we talked about what's the future, where's it going, blah, blah, blah. And what was his answer? This is very Dave Williams answer. People. It's about the people and having capable people to match up with how we do things five years from now. I thought that was a brilliant answer. Yeah, he does. He cares about the people. I, I still remember the first podcast we did with him. It was about the people, people process mm -hmm. technology. But yep. most of all, you got to care about the people. Right, right. So we're super grateful to Dave once again for uh, hanging out with us um, and 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 sharing his, his uh, big brain with us. And um, we appreciate you guys in our audience, uh, sharing your big, sharing your big brain with us, or maybe we're making it a smaller brain. <laughs> and if, maybe. and if that's what's happening, we apologize. Isn't that right, Lee? Do we apologize? We apologize, but we hope it's being bigger. We hope there's some interesting knowledge, uh, being gained. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you want to show us, uh, how big your brain is getting then please subscribe to our crazy little podcast. Yeah. And, um, they come out every Friday. They come out every Friday and join us on our next episode of FNO InsureTech where we always leave by saying goodbye, everybody. <laughs>